so uh, guilty weekend pleasure of mine is kind of jumping on my phone and scouring uh, business broker websites uh, for businesses or assets to buy. Hi, I'm Jason Andrew, chartered accountant, business owner, and financial voyeurist, and this is Stark Naked Numbers. It's the podcast that strips down the numbers of business, investing, and wealth creation to help you become a better entrepreneur, a better investor, and ultimately build your net worth. Now, you know, a lot of people, they might spend their time on TikTok, Reddit, you know, a bit of Instagram. I have none of those. My, my advice is, uh, yeah, scouring business broker websites. And uh, yeah, you can just jump on Google and, you know, search businesses for sale and you'll see a bunch of kind of broker websites uh, advertising little small businesses uh, within your region. You can filter by geography, state, turnover, all that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of garbage out there. Don't get me wrong. Um, these businesses range from kind of franchises, services, e-commerce, even software businesses. And uh, and you start to look at the multiples and you know what what these businesses are profiting. You really start to realize there is so much opportunity out there for folks to acquire these businesses uh, and potentially generate cash on cash returns of 20, 30 uh, percent, even even more. Um, so I think that you know a lot of folks really, it's typically the Australian culture, we, we tend to really obsess over properties and investment class or an asset class. But I think that businesses um, are, are a wonderful asset class uh, for the people who um, are willing to take a bit of risk and, um, and, and sign up for something which could be a, a career-defying moment for them. But anyway, uh, so yeah, the 30% returns I, I spoke about, they're, they're pretty high, but yeah, as I say, commensurate with the risk of a small to medium business asset class. It's a very different kettle of fish uh, to owning a property. It's messy, nuanced, and rarely passive. In fact, I would say that if anyone says that you uh, can buy a passive business, um, leave right out the door because they're probably trying to sell you a course. <laughs> uh, most of the jobs or these businesses are with low pay. Uh, a lot of the owners work for free. But every now and again, you do come across something really interesting. Um, so what I do is when I find, when I, when I look at these businesses, I find something really interesting. I just can't help myself. I, I have a, a notion document that I keep where I just keep notes or investment memos of these random businesses that I stumble across and do a bit of back of the envelope spreadsheet math. I call it street math uh, to break down these deals. Yeah, it's pretty nerdy, but I enjoy it. Everyone has their vice, right? I guess part of this podcast series, I'm going to start sharing these with you, these little nuggets. Um, and I'll start with a little gem I stumbled across uh, last late last year. So the business I was looking at was actually vending machines. So I, I met a lady, um, I ended up finding this uh, vending machine portfolio for sale. Uh, yeah, when I say vending machines, yes, exactly. Those boxes that you see at, uh, you know, in shopping centers at the airport, uh, random industrial states, vending machines selling Coke, chips, just garbage snacks, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but I, uh, I saw an advert uh, and I think the listing was like seven-figure vending machine business for sale, right? So, interested, took a look and I called called the uh, the broker and I got in touch with the lady who was selling it. Um, and so, it turns out, here's the, here's the thing, right? So, she owned a portfolio of 150 vending machines, cash flowing $650,000 a year, right? So, her story was 
She was a, a mother of three, kind of had this, she was actually an accountant by background, which is uh, <laughs> which is funny. Those of us have a flock together, I guess. But yeah, she was an accountant by background or uh, had a bookkeeper, wanted to sort of get out of the accounting world and, and own somewhat of a passive or you know, her own her own business and decided any machines was a was a very approachable you know asset class for her so she started literally buying vending machines um and yeah and, and this is a crowd across southeast queensland and north of brisbane uh, the city and, and south which is where i live i'm in I'm brisbane so naturally all the businesses i would look at would be around this region but anyway mother of three uh she ran the business uh herself and employed one full-time employee so it was just her another staff member um, she was working about 50 hours a week, 50, yeah, 55 hours a week. So as I said, not, uh, definitely not passive. And her role was kind of servicing half of the machines. So she would look after about 75 vending machines and they're called these runs. So when you have one vending machine, that's just like one vending machine, right? But when you have, start to have multiple, they call them vending machine runs. That's the, that's the kind of industry language. Um, very similar to like a mail order run. So if you've, um, you know, back in, very, very early, early uh, teenage years, Jason, I would do advertising drops, you know, those, you know, junk mail. Uh, yeah, so I used to do that and you, you basically have a run, which is a route where you would, um, this is your kind of geography or your suburb and, and the run is the, the route that you would, but you would be responsible. So basically, vending machine runs is, is the terminology used. Anyway, she would look after to 75 and then she, the other staff member would be the other 75 and they'd basically maintain them. Uh, but yeah, cash flowing 650K a year, excluding her salary. Um, so the reason why she was looking to sell about 30 of them. So she's looking to divest uh, a chunk of those. Uh, vending machines, she's looking to sell 29 in total um, because one of her kids is sick and she just doesn't have the the time to work 55 hours a week, you know, running up and down Brisbane servicing this machine. So she's looking to sell a bunch of them. So there's 29 vending machines that were for sale. Um, they were pumping about 150K a year of profit according to her spreadsheet. Um, and she was looking for an asking price of $567,000, uh, which in, in turned out to be uh, a profit multiple or cash flow multiple of about 3.8 to four times profit, right? And uh, so that was, that was pretty interesting. Uh, so I was really amazed that she was making that much cash from something as simple as vending machines. So yeah, so I was super interested. I set up a call with her and um, here's what I learned about it, right? So the vending machine industry is highly fragmented. On one end, you have corporations like Coca-Cola uh, that own, operate and service their own machines. So they use it as kind of a distribution channel to get their product out to, the, to, to consumers. But the vast majority of vending machine owners are actually operators themselves with full-time jobs. So they've got a kind of nine-to-five job um, and they use vending machines to supplement their income as a, could be a bit of a side hustle. The average vending machine makes about five to six K of profit per year. Um, and this excludes labor. So this is purely profit on the sale of the, the cogs, which is, you know, the snacks, the, the Coca-Cola, the, the chips, the candy, whatever you sell. Um, and a brand new machine costs about the same, right? So you're, you're forking out, you know, five to $6,000 for a brand new machine. Um, and every year it would generate around the same. So the payback period is about a year excluding labor, right? Which is pretty good. Actually, it's pretty great, actually. Obviously, with vending machines, it's all about location, right? So some landlords actually require you to pay rent for you to place the machine at their site. Usually, it's a commission-based thing. Um, you know, the, the lady I spoke to cited a 10, a 10 cents per sale commission. Um, and this covers their electricity costs. So obviously, you know, there's, there's costs to, to run these things, which is mainly electricity. So this kind of covers electricity costs. But 
what she also said was a lot of businesses, a lot of places just do it for free as just, just kind of a service to their customers. So if you think of industrial sites where there's not many food options for, for these high-vis high boys, uh, they, they, you know, they want to drink, <laughs> they want to refuel, right, uh, with these monster energy drinks. So it, it's kind of a service to them. Anyway, uh, all the modern machines have like software, which tells you real time the amount of profit and inventory available per machine. So basically there's like, there's like SaaS tools like Shopify for vending machines, which is awesome. I would actually prefer to, to own the SaaS business um, over the vending machines themselves, but I'll get into that later. Uh, and yeah, so most, most vending machine operators, I said it's a part-time, it's, a, it's kind of a part-time side hustle for them. And they usually have a run of about 10 to 15 machines. And now finally, the key to a successful vending machine operation is location. Obviously, it's all about real estate, you know, fish where the fishes are and uh, good operators, right? You just need to make sure you, you do run, make sure there's plenty of stock in the machines. Um, yeah, they're all serviced properly and they're all in working condition. So, funny story. So, listening to this story, uh, sorry, this woman's story flooded my brain with memories. So, back in the early 2000s, I actually attempted to, and failed <laughs> to, to acquire and install a vending machine at my high school. So, I was about 15 at the time. Um, I was, you know, young, enterprising Jason thought, hey, there's a bunch of school kids here. Um, there's a canteen, but they only sold kind of healthy food, you know, like I think this is just as the uh, the government kind of mandated that you have to sell, um, you know, healthy food. You, you couldn't buy soft drinks pretty much at the canteen. So, I thought, hey, there's a there's not really op- a great opportunity here to, to install a vending machine. So, there was actually a TAFE um, attached to the school that I went to, the high school I went to. So, I thought maybe I could install the vending machine in the TAFE section uh, because there were all of after-hour students, you know, studying diplomas and things like that. And, you know, they could they could buy buy some snacks and also hopefully the school kids will be able to access that as well. Uh, you know, high concentration of school kids that tra- crave sugar and have lunch money to spend. It's literally shooting fish in a barrel, but it didn't happen. Um, unfortunately, I, I wrote a, biz- a bit of a business plan, um, but it was rejected by the school principal. Uh, and as I learned, it was against the state's education policy, um, something about obesity rates and rotten teeth. Anyway, so yeah, this is uh, very nostalgic for me and I thought, hey, this is my chance to realize a childhood dream. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you tired of traditional accounting firms that only focus on tax and compliance? Looking for a financial partner that can go beyond the numbers and reveal the story those numbers are telling? SBO Financial aren't your typical business accountants. We're your dedicated financial management team, empowering you to take control of your finances and gain clarity and confidence in your business. Sure, it will keep your books in order and file your taxes, but unlike traditional firms, we'll also go beyond financial hygiene to give you the forward-looking insights and strategies you need to grow your cash and profitability. Picture this, a team of chartered accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers, payroll specialists, and financial analysts all working together to help you grow your business. With SBO, you gain access to a collective team of experts and specialists, providing you with proactive advice and analysis. So don't settle for reactive advice. Stop looking backwards and start looking forwards with SBO Financial, your partner in financial management and growth. Visit our website or contact us today for a free financial health check at sbo.financial. So after having calls to sell, it was apparent that the profit numbers presented didn't factor in some big costs, mainly labor, travel, and servicing. 
So what I did was I got I got the I got my spreadsheet out and did some back of the envelope math to turn and normalize the profit. So when I say normalize, a lot of uh, when you say when you see businesses for sale, they'll say that hey, my business does X amount of revenue and X amount of profit. What they typically don't present is what is the true profit of that business. Um, now it is quite common, for example, for the owners of the business not to pay themselves, or they pay themselves. Uh, but they might pay themselves via a dividend or um, a, a loan or something like that, which doesn't actually show up in the profit. So what you have to do is if you put yourself in their position, if I was to run this business myself, because you're essentially buying yourself a job or uh, what, or you need, or you want to employ someone to, to do their job, what is the, what is the market salary? Um, for me to do this job. Uh, so, you know, I normalized that. So she was doing, this lady was basically working herself. Her own hours to to do the labor of servicing the machines, topping them up with candy, etc. So I had to factor a wage for her, for her time, right? Um, so my assumptions were every machine takes about an hour to maintain and service per week. And like, there's no way on earth that I'll be doing that. I'm a knowledge worker, I use my brain, I wanna sit down behind my computer and, and let other folks do that. So the, the thesis was I would pay someone to do it. And um, as I said, I'm not going to be driving up and down Brizzy to, to tend to these machines. So I'd probably contract some gig economy folks to do it. You know, the Uber and delivery drivers um, in between shifts. Um, I did. I definitely need to pay them a premium for the casual hours and petrol. So I assumed out 50 bucks an hour, right? So I worked out is if there's 29 machines, um, an hour a week to maintain them times 50 bucks, um, the kind of labor per annum was about $75,000. So that's, that's essentially almost a full-time worker maintaining 29 machines. So when I factored that additional cost to the profit multiple, um, the asking price ended up being like eight times profit, which was crazy. I mean, for, for context of new new to this world of uh, kind of pricing assets, eight times is very, very high. Um, it's kind of those multiples you typically see in large you know, strategic acquisitions by private equity. Uh, but yeah, for, for in small businesses, you, you generally look at like a range of one to one to four times profit. That, that's kind of the, uh, the the range that you would expect to see in, in definitely in this sort of space. Um, if it, yeah. So, and, and that, that eight times didn't even include any contingency for random costs that inevitably come out of the woodwork, like vandalism, looting, um, fishing the vending machines out of the, out of the Brisbane River. So uh, based on numbers, yeah, I was like the asking price is way too high. Um, I'd be looking at probably one to two times adjusted EBITDA for this. So yeah, it was definitely not uh, not something I would continue to entertain. But but I did look at the other the considerations, right? So the, I guess the pros of this business is it's diversified. Like I do like the idea of a portfolio of vending machines. So you might get stuck with a really shitty location, but you'll you'll have some others which which might be better trade. So you've got that diversification. Um, it's not really seasonal. Um, I guess it depends on foot traffic, but you know uh, there are always workers most times of the year, so you always have um, some element of sales. Uh, the the profit margins on the product itself are pretty good. They're about 60, 70 percent plus, which is consistent with kind of hospitality. Um, and I guess the novelty is quite fun, satisfies my uh, my childhood fantasy. But I guess it'd be probably short lived after you know dealing with all the headaches of you know a vending machine portfolio and, and stuff and things like that. Um, and like I look at the headaches of this, like it's it's kind of low volume, high effort. So these are I'm quite lazy. So those types of things don't interest me. 
Um, and the current earnings, so, you know, the 29 vending machines for sale aren't really, there isn't enough profit there to employ someone full-time. I'd need scale to make it work. Um, like, you know, like, like her example, she has 150 machines. So, um, you could, in theory, employ two people to, to manage those things, um, but it would still require management. And I guess, yeah, I don't know how to service machines either. Like, again, I'm a keyboard warrior. I don't know how to service these these clunky machines. And if they broke, well, I'd have to pay some guy to fix them. And again, that, that eats into my margins. And finally, I guess I would, you know, I, I've got young kids. I, You know, the inventory, would, I, I guess, would be stored in my garage. And, you know, late night snacking, I could eat into that. <laughs> and uh, that obviously have impact on my profit. Again, the, the third thing of what I do when I assess these businesses is trying to understand the, the defensibility. What is the moat? Like most hospitality and food business models, competitive advantage comes down to mainly real estate, right? So the best returning venues are locations with high foot traffic, uh, limited food and drink options around, and I guess bonus points if they're in a location where people have time to kill. Um, so if you think about places where people have surplus time, um, and they, they, they just feel to, the need to spend money because they're bored. Um, nursing homes are a great one. Uh, airports are the perfect example. Like you're locked into an airport, you got three hours to your flight because you're like your parents, you want to get there really early. And uh, yeah, you just end up just spending whatever, um, hence why the prices are really high. Other ideal locations, industrial states, um, servicing high-vis tradies, uh, hospitals, suburban offices, community sports centers, all of the above, right? You've got lots of people, high concentration of people, bored, bit of money to spend, a bit of sugar craving to help them get through their day. So going back to the vending machine thing, the thing is, if, even if I negotiated the purchase price down from like an eight to a, to maybe two and a three adjusted profit multiple, and then I could maybe take a step further and kind of cherry pick the winners of the vending machine portfolio. So as I said, of the 29, some were making more money than the others. Even if I could just say, hey, I only want, you know, the, the Prudo law. I only want like the 20% that do 80% of the, the profit. Um, you know, the question is, will I still pay two to three times profit uh, multiple just for these locations, right? My hunch is that even if you just went to the um, a fraction of that cash multiple to the landlord of these desired locations and said, hey, man, like there's this vending machine here. I want you to move that and I'll, I'll give you a, a year's worth of profit and I'm going to put mine there instead. Um, would the landlord take that deal? My hunch is that probably yes. If you went to someone and say, hey, man, here's, here's $5,000 um, to move the incumbent's vending machine away and replace it with mine, I, I'm pretty sure they take the money, particularly if they're not getting any money in the first place, right? So I guess the question is, do I have the time and enthusiasm to scout these locations and do this myself and get yeah, basically start a vending machine business portfolio as opposed to buying one, build or buy, right? That's that's the conundrum. And I guess if you look at the economics of it, like if the capital outlay of a single machine is, you know, five to $7,000 and it cash flows about two to 5K of adjusted profit per year, adjusted after my salary, um, yeah, the returns are pretty good. It actually stacks up to be that kind of two to three times profit. Um, you just need to have a lot of them to, to make it worth the dollars, right? So having two and a half K of cash every year is great. But um, to me, if I want to make it a business, I really want to have at least 30 of them to make it worthwhile. And uh, yeah, so I guess it's really, really important to measure returns in both dollars and percentage. Um, so, you know, classic thing, would you rather 100% of a grape or 60% of a watermelon? You know, I'm, I'm a hungry person, I 60% of the watermelon all the time. 
Yeah, so summing up in the end, <clears throat> I decided that the earnings opportunity cost just didn't work for me. Um, there, there wasn't enough upside for the hassle. I've been reflecting on this idea of a return on hassle, right? Um, how much sweat or how much work is there required to get a, a decent cash return? And um, so it might look like good on the spreadsheet, but if you actually look at the realities of, of operating or managing such businesses, uh, yeah, there's a bit of work involved. As I said, nothing is passive. So there wasn't enough upside for me uh, to be worth the hassle, but not to say that it couldn't work for you or anyone listening or really anyone. Um, as I said, it's a pretty sweet gig. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, 650K of cash flowing income from vending machines is, uh, is, is pretty awesome. I think the national average of a salary in Australia is about 90K. So, so, so there you go. Anyway, so yeah, I guess perhaps I'll revisit this business model in the future. Um, I really like the idea of maybe buying a vending machine for the family. Um, maybe, you know, as my son, uh, he's, he's two years old now, but as he, as he gets older, part of my mission uh, is to, to probably, you know, uh, educate him and, and, and instill some good financial habits and financial literacy in his upbringing. So maybe a great idea would be to, to buy a vending machine and use that as a kind of an education experience for the family. So buy, buy a site, I'd buy it, um, I'd finance it. So my son would be the owner. I guess uh, this is me guessing like I'm hopefully he's into this stuff, but you know, this is my thinking. Maybe he'll not want to do that and become, decide to become like an artist or something, which, which would be disappointing. <laughs> my wife's also a cat, by the way. So yeah, I, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be sad if he wasn't going to follow a, a business or an accounting path <laughs> rip. Um, Anyway, so yeah, the idea of like me, I'll buy, I'll buy a vending machine, I'll lease it to him. So it kind of gets the idea of him understanding the concept of rent and you know, a, a lease back arrangement. And then, you no, know, potentially we'd spend our weekend just going to the vending machine, stocking it up, doing the PL, running the numbers, working out how much money we made. And uh, yeah, make it kind of a, a family affair, a bit of bonding, a uh, bit of education at the same time. And I think that that could be quite fun. I think it's like, like all things for your kids, right? It's like a, it could be a project for the, for the kids, but really it's for yourself. Um, it's probably would be just to satisfy midlife crisis muse. Uh, yeah. Anyway, vending machines. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, I think they're great. Not for me, but um, yeah, I think good little cash businesses. Love to hear your thoughts. Uh, send me a DM or uh, yeah, love to hear from you. And that's it. That's my vending machine saga, for now anyway. Next time, we'll talk to Alex G from Tanda about how he and his co-founders built a SaaS giant without any outside funding. To bootstrap or not to bootstrap? That's the question we'll be debating with Alex. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to Stark Naked Numbers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. To learn more about the secrets of uncovering your financials, unlocking your cash, and unleashing your profits, visit starknakednumbers.com and follow me on LinkedIn. I'm Jason Andrew, and this has been the Stark Naked Numbers Podcast.